bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Bonta, filling in for my colleague Paul Dragu, our usual host, who will be joining us from CPAC later this week. We're so glad you can join us. Well, the state of Utah has enacted a new law to rein in unconstitutional federal overreach. Republican lawmakers joined pro-life activists on Capitol Hill last week to demand that Congress investigate potential illegal abortions in Washington, D.C. And John Birch Society field coordinator Michael Smart will be joining us to discuss the JBS's involvement this year at CPAC. But first, according to explosive new claims by investigative journalists Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, and Alex Gutentag, the U.S. intelligence community had lots of foreign help in its illegal surveillance of 26 Donald Trump uh, associates during the 2016 presidential campaign. It's illegal for American intelligence agencies to spy on American citizens. So Obama's CIA director John Brennan hit upon a creative workaround. He asked his counterparts in the intelligence services of the other four countries in the so-called Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, to spy on Trump's associates and then share the intelligence with the United States. The Five Eyes is an espionage alliance dating back to World War II, ostensibly to to jointly combat threats to the so-called Anglosphere. But now it seems it's being exploited for something a lot more sinister, a platform for outsourcing domestic espionage to willing accomplices among five countries, all of whose laws forbid their respective governments from spying on their own citizens. Wrote Taibbi Schellenberger and Gutentag, quote, Until now, the official story has been that the FBI's investigation began after Australian intelligence officials told U.S. officials that a Trump aide had boasted to an Australian diplomat that Russia had damning material about Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. In truth, the USIC asked the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance to surveil Trump's associates and share the intelligence they acquired with U.S. agencies, say sources close to a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Investigation. The Five Eyes nations are the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. After public and racket had been told that President Barack Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, had identified 26 associates for the Five Eyes to target, a source confirmed that the IC had, quote, identified them as people to bump or make contact with or manipulate. They were targets of our own IC and law enforcement, targets for collection and misinformation, end quote. Now, this report attracted immediate media attention. Here's Fox News' Joe Concha offering some perspective. Let's bring in Fox News contributor Joe Concha. Joe, you're the media guy. When Trump said this was happening, the media attacked him mercilessly. They did, uh, saying that he was just throwing out conspiracy theories, Todd Carley. And as a result, uh, we should not take anything he's saying seriously. Uh, Let's be clear first, as Lucas uh, just said, this report has not been confirmed by any major news outlets, including the New York Post and Fox News. But for the sake of conversation, it wouldn't be surprising if this did happen. And the reporters here, Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, they are as solid as they come. Uh, The CIA director at the time was John Brennan. He has shown himself to be completely and totally partisan and completely anti-Trump. He currently serves as an MSNBC analyst, and his sole job is to bash Trump at every turn. So when you listen to John Brennan on TV now, and you see this reporting and the reporters that are behind it, 
again, it's not hard to believe that Barack Obama and therefore his CIA would spy on Donald Trump in an attempt to stop him from becoming president and after he became president to make his job as difficult as possible, guys. Well, the report also claims that details about this operation are contained in a 10-inch binder ordered declassified by then-President Trump, but whose whereabouts now are conveniently unknown. Taibbi et al. <clears throat> claim that numerous credible sources have confirmed the allegations, including sources close to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Now, if proven true, these latest allegations would furnish yet more proof of the extreme criminality that elements of the deep state, like the thuggish and unapologetic Brennan, are willing to go to to destroy Donald Trump and his supporters. And lest we forget, Senator Chuck Schumer, a few years back, issued this mob-style warning to Trump about what happens if you cross the intelligence community. You take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were motivated I don't know, to? but I, from what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going Look at the Russian hacking. Without the intelligence community, we wouldn't have uh, discovered it. Do you and we, think he has an agenda to try to dismantle parts of the intelligence community? I mean, this form of let me taunting you, hostility. Whether you're a super liberal Democrat or a very conservative Republican, you should be against dismantling the intelligence community. Yeah, we should again mention that these allegations are still unproven, so we're waiting to see more evidence of this. But we have to say that if they turn out to be true, even in part, they would constitute actions akin to high treason against, against the United States. Now, Gary, uh, I want to welcome you again. This is Gary Benoit, our senior editor for the New American Magazine and oftentimes is on, on the show. And so, Gary, I mean, talking about this, I mean, one of the things that the founders and also their, 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 their predecessors in England during the time of great ferment in the 17th century that led ultimately to the, to the glorious revolution and the English Bill of Rights was this issue of a, of a standing military and, and, and how, whether or not it was an advisable thing to have a standing military. Now, we sometimes don't think of it this way, but the, these intelligence communities are really a part of the military apparatus. And so they constitute sort of a standing intelligence organization, which we never really had in the United States until shortly before the outbreak of World War II and from that time forward. Doesn't this sort of thing maybe suggest, you know, or, or, or show the danger posed by having a permanent intelligence gathering, a you know, professional intelligence gathering institution or actually set of institutions, the CIA and, and the, the NSA and so forth, that work you know, that they could go rogue, as they apparently did in this case. And, you know, as Chuck Schumer says, you know, if you cross these guys, it doesn't matter if you're the president or a U.S. senator, they have six ways to Sunday to get back to you. Is, 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 is this a problem? Well, it's absolutely a problem. And, of course, it's not limited to the intelligence community, but the intelligence community is perhaps the most visible manifestation of what some observers have called the deep state. The fact that there is a permanent unelected government that is calling the shots behind the elected government of the United States of America. And Trump has challenged that power, that, that uh, power behind the throne. And so they have worked to do everything they can to try to get rid of him, going all the way back to his first campaign for president in 2016. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the the founders set up a constitution whereby they were required to reappropriate for the military, right? To to prevent this reproach of having a permanent standing military, and with it, you know, these various intelligence agencies that act as appendages to 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 the military. Now, people argue that in the world today, you know, everybody else has permanent intelligence organizations. But you know this point, this whole Five Eyes thing, if it's true, indicates that it's be, this platform is being exploited not just by the U.S. but by the other countries, all of whom have sure. laws saying you know you can't spy on your own people, right? right? Which is exactly what they're doing. So and, the solution that, is you simply outsource it to each right. other, and which is you know. exactly yeah, uh, and that's so. exactly what they have done because uh, it's illegal allegedly. for them. Allegedly, it's yeah. illegal for them to spy on Americans directly, although. There is evidence uh, that they've been doing a lot of that as well, but they simply outsource it to another country to do the spying for them. Right. And I mean, when, when, when Trump now Trump didn't make these sorts of specific claims, but he did mm. say over and over again that he was being spied on by the likes of the CIA, he and his campaign. Right. And when he initially made these claims, of course, they were poo-pooed, brushed aside by the mainstream media. Oh, it's just conspiracy. It's just Trump Trump vaporing again, all these these conspiracies. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, with the passage of essentially seven, eight years since these events were right. ongoing, I, one I, by I, one, all of these conspiracy theories be, the, you know, brooded about by the Trump campaign are being proven correct. Exactly. And really, Steve, we're not talking about conspiracy theory because there are conspiracy theories. We're really talking about conspiracy facts. Yes, yes. I saw a meme the other day that said that, you know, there's evidence, uh, scientists say that there's evidence that by the year 2025 that the world will run out of conspiracy theories because they'll all have been proven, okay. proven true. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Well, next up, the state of Utah has enacted a new law to rein in unconstitutional federal overreach. If Americans want to remain a free and sovereign nation, more people need to understand the principles and values that built this great nation. At the John Birch Society, we have the organization, the plan, and the resources to do just that. Our founder, Robert Welch, said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to jbs.org to learn more, including how you can get involved to work locally and impact nationally. Join the John Birch Society today. Welcome back. Today, on Wednesday, February 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, we are posting at thenewamerican.com our exclusive hour-long interview with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here's an excerpt. I definitely think that our problem is, is the push and the growth of the federal government. It's like an, it's like an overgrown monster that it started out as a cute little puppy in your house and then it ate all the food in your refrigerator and all the food in your pantry and chewed up all your furniture and went to the potty all over the house and made a mess. And that's, to me, what the federal government is like now, an overgrown monster. Yeah, just remind our readers again that this interview was granted immediately before Congresswoman Green went to vote on the historic impeachment of Mayorkas of which she was the primary, you know, mover and shaker of that whole that whole historic event. So we were very privileged to get that. Be sure to watch the full interview today, this evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central at thenewamerican.com. And now our next story. On January 31st of this year, Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed into law the Utah Constitutional Sovereignty Act to rein in federal overreach. The act specifies that, quote, the legislature may, by concurrent resolution, prohibit a government officer from enforcing or insisting in the enforcement of a federal directive within the state 
if the legislature determines the federal directive violates the principles of state sovereignty in accordance with subsection 2, unquote. Now, subsection 2 states that, quote, a federal directive violates the principles of state sovereignty if the federal directive restricts or infringes upon a power or a right reserved to the state by the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution or the state's rights or interests to provide for the health, safety, and welfare and promote the prosperity of the state's inhabitants, unquote. In a statement about the new law, Governor Cox said, quote, Balancing power between state and federal sovereignty is an essential part of our constitutional system. This legislation gives us another way to push back on federal overreach and maintain that balance, unquote. The Utah Constitutional Sovereignty Act should have gotten a lot more attention in the national media than it has. Perhaps that will change if and when the Utah State Legislature actually exercises this new tool to push back against unconstitutional federal overreach. Yet, the constitutionality of this push is being called into question by critics. The liberal CNN reported earlier this week, quote, The push may stand in conflict with the U.S. Constitution's Supremacy Clause, which states federal laws take precedence over state ones. Robert Keiter, a law professor at the University of Utah's S.J. Quinney College of Law, said he was skeptical the Sovereignty Act was constitutional. Quote, This sends the message, and the Utah legislature is famous for sending messages of this sort, that it's unhappy with the federal government and it's expressing that in a way that is constitutionally uh, problematic, unquote, he told CNN. Close quote. All right. So, Gary, let's talk about this a little bit. Is this constitutional and what is this Supremacy Act that is referred to in here? Or, excuse me, supremacy, supremacy Clause in the Constitution. Okay. Well, let's actually go to the Supremacy Clause and read it because it really is very short. The Founding Fathers were very succinct in the Constitution. And what is called, called the uh, Supremacy Clause is in Article 6, and it is Clause 2. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, in all treaties made, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. Now, the way that has been interpreted by liberal activists is that anything, any law that the government may make becomes the supreme law of the land, and therefore it trumps state laws or any other laws in the United States. But that's not what it says. The language, language very clearly says, in pursuance thereof, not any law, but only those laws that are in pursuance of the Constitution of the United States of America are supreme, which means that the means that Congress cannot make any law it chooses. It can only make or, or should only make only those laws that are constitutional. And all other laws that Congress may make that are unconstitutional are considered null and void and not to be obeyed. Okay, well now, just for the sake of argument and playing mm -hmm. the devil's advocate— a lot of people would say, well, okay, but, you know, you may think that this government, you know, regulation about, you know, some welfare thing or, or whatever, things that we would, in, 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 this, in this precinct, would regard as blatantly unconstitutional because of the Tenth Amendment, among other things, mm -hmm. you know, so forth. So we don't need to get into that. But suffice it to say that, obviously, the Supreme Court many times has put its judicial imprimatur on blatantly unconstitutional stuff. Or has declined to rule one way or the other. For example, famous, well, famously, 
punting the whole Obamacare thing rather than ruling it unconstitutional as they should have done, saying, well, basically it's up to Congress and be done with it. So a lot of times the Supreme Court weighs in and people say, well, the Supreme Court has spoken. They're the ultimate arbiters, and you can't go against them. If they say something is constitutional, then tough bananas. Well, of course, I, I realize, that. Steve, that you're playing the devil's advocate. I am. But where on earth in the Constitution does it say that the Supreme Court is the final decider as to what is constitutional or what is not constitutional? It does not. And, and yet we hear, when we hear over and over again, that the Supreme Court, that its decisions are also the law of the land. And you know, the interesting thing is, Steve, when you look at the Supremacy Clause, the Supreme Court is not even mentioned in the Supremacy Clause. Right, right. And of course, the, the Supreme Court doesn't actually make law. The Supremacy no. Clause mentions laws, including the Constitution, also treaties, which are another type of law, and, and so forth. But it doesn't mention Supreme Court decisions. And the thing in Texas, which we've talked about, which is kind right. of what, you know, is, is related to this too— is over a Supreme Court ruling, not over a law per se. Yes. That's a different. So, so I guess we can't talk about this without bringing up the N word. And by the N word, I mean nullification. nullification. Okay. So, you know, when, when when people talk about this, I mean, the first reaction, for example, to the showdown in Eagle Pass, Texas, was, "Oh, these people are secessionists. They're neo Confederates. Whatever. You know, we got to go in there. This is a well, modern day Fort Sumter." When in fact, you know, what is what is what is I think maybe more rational to argue is what we're talking about nullification rather than secession. Two different things. What's the difference? You just wrote an article for the yes. New American on the very subject of nullification. Right. Can you summarize some well, of the Well, and I have a copy of the issue of the magazine in question right here. Yep. It is the March 11 issue of the, uh, of the magazine. And I should mention, too, Steve, that you wrote the cover story in that issue, Border Showdown, that is talking about what is happening right now in Texas, the showdown between the, the state of Texas and the U.S. government, where the state of Texas is actually applying nullification by refusing to abide by this outrageous Supreme Court decision that uh, Texas uh, cannot defend its its own border, that they must allow federal officials to take down the, the razor wire. But in that, in that same issue, I wrote an article entitled Secession, Why Not Nullification? And, of course, the reason the title is worded that way is because secession and nullification are very are two very different things. Nullification is where state officials who also take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America, where they're saying, in effect, we love the Constitution so much, we, re we support it so much, that we are not going to allow the violation of the Constitution of the United States of America within our state boundaries. Okay, can I just interrupt there? But a lot of yes. people who maybe you know, less informed might mm -hmm. say, oh, but, but you can't defy the federal government it's the national government, and its authority is superior to the, to the states, obviously. Well, or is it obvious? Uh, no, it, it's uh, actually, it's obvious that it's just uh, the opposite. And the evidence is in the article uh, that I wrote. Some of it we already touched on because we referred to the, the so-called supremacy clause, which again is Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution, which says that only those laws that are pursuant to the Constitution are the supreme law of the land. Uh, let's take a look at the Tenth Amendment, Steve. That is only a sentence long, and uh, I think it's it's worth reading. The Tenth Amendment says, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And, and so uh, what Texas is doing is standing up for its own state rights. 
Right, right. Well, I mean, we, and, and, and I mean, I recommend you read Gary's article. There are a lot of wonderful quotes, lest you think we're just making stuff up. A lot of the founders waited on this and they were unanimous. Even the big government guys like Hamilton said nullification is a legitimate remedy. Okay, next up, Republican lawmakers joined pro-life activists on Capitol Hill last week to demand that Congress investigate potential illegal abortions in Washington, D.C. Hey, America, how tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, The New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800 800- 727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. Welcome back, everyone. Now, just a warning before we proceed with our next story. We did, a, we did include a little bit of graphic image that some of you might find offensive. The story concerns the matter of abortion and uh, the video which we took this imagery from is available on YouTube Unedited, if you feel a need to see more of it, there is more graphic by far than what we're going to show. We've tried to do this in good taste while at the same time preserving enough of it so that you do understand the grim, horrifying reality of abortion. In this case, allegedly illegal abortions, late-term abortions that are being carried out within the nation's capital. So let's proceed. Republican lawmakers joined pro-life activists on Capitol Hill last week demanding justice for the five. The phrase refers to the remains of aborted babies recovered in March of 2022 from a box labeled as bio-waste from a Washington, D.C. abortion mill. Five of the bodies suggested that the babies were victims of either illegal late-term or partial birth abortions or were born, left, uh, born alive and left to die, which would be a violation of the federal Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And just to clarify, some of the other images, not the ones that we show, actually show babies with, with, with mutilated skulls and things like this that suggest these very barbaric procedures were used. When last seen, the bodies were in the possession of Washington, D.C. government officials. Since, October, since April of 2022, 
Only a month after pro-lifers recovered the bodies, lawmakers have been demanding autopsy results from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. They also demanded that the bodies be given proper burials. Instead, the mayor accused pro-lifers Teresa Bukovinach and Lauren Handy of tampering with fetal remains and potential violations of federal law. Even now, nearly two years later, D.C. still has possession of the bodies, but neither autopsies nor proper burials have been performed. At a press conference on the Capitol grounds last Wednesday, lawmakers once again demanded justice for the five. Here's Arizona Republican Congressman Andy Biggs explaining the potential violations of federal law. Killing a child, let alone five, through a partial birth abortion is a crime under federal law. The Supreme Court of the U.S. upheld the federal ban on partial birth abortion in 2007. And both the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department and Biden's Department of Justice chose to ignore any potential evidence of crime for two years. The MPD and DOJ's investigation was insufficient. It was inadequate. The DOJ's effort to dispose of these bodies without conducting an investigation is simply malpractice. And it is wrong. And just to clarify Partial birth abortion refers to a procedure where the baby is part, partly pulled out of the birth canal, so partly birthed, and then is killed, usually by doing damage to the head. And so I won't go into the, all the gory details, but that's what's, what it involved. And it is a practice that has been, was carried out for a time before being declared illegal. So that's the concern that, that Congressman Biggs is referring to. Now, Biggs and his colleague, Republican Chip Roy of Texas, who also spoke at the press conference, penned a letter earlier this month to Bowser and the D.C. chief of police demanding that they preserve the baby's remains. Their letter referred to news broken earlier this month by the Heritage Foundation, which revealed that Biden's DOJ advised the D.C. medical examiner that there is no need to continue preserving the bodies and that the medical examiner's office planned to dispose of them accordingly. Biggs said that they have reversed that decision in response to his and Roy's letter. Other Republican congressmen who spoke at the press conference were Chris Smith of New Jersey, Pat Fallon of Texas, and Bob Good of Virginia. They all called out Biden's DOJ for turning a blind eye to the potential federal crimes involved in the case, and they proposed congressional investigations into the matter. Perhaps the most compelling statements at the press conference came from two women. Florida Republican Representative Anna Luna gave horrifying accounts of the abortionist who runs the Washington Surges Center, where the five bodies were recovered. She also issued a call for help to, to medical examiners across the country. For those that are even pro-abortion that might be here today, I think it's important to note that Dr. Angela was actually, um, had performed a botched abortion that was so badly done that the woman died and they found fetal uh, tissue within her lungs. And so if you are even advocating this, you have to understand that this person has hurt other people and he's indeed broken the law. But I want to also put out a public request for help because we are having issues locating someone that will conduct the autopsy to determine the cause of death. The reason why these children have not been able to be buried is because of that. People are afraid of losing their medical license or examiner license here in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding areas. So if you know anyone, please refer them to any one of our offices so that we can do that. We've had people from the community step up to donate vaults and caskets so that we can have a funeral service for these children. But um, when you look at those photos and you see what is done, you know, especially as a new mother, to understand that this individual performed an abortion um, to where... If this was in a hospital, this child would have essentially lived, that one of the children was actually suffocated in their own amniotic fluid. 
Um, it's just, it's inhumane. You know, we have certain practices in this country and to cause and inflict pain like that is, is something that I don't think anyone standing in this crowd can get behind. So we ask for your help. Please help us find a medical examiner to conduct these autopsies so we can give him a proper burial. Lastly, pro-life activist Penny Nance, who is CEO of Concerned Women for America, described the horrifying brutality of what likely happened to the five babies at the center of this drama. What we're talking about is the other end of the spectrums, babies who are almost full term. And you can see that their little bodies have been desecrated. Their heads collapsed in because a partial birth abortion clearly was performed. Early in my career, one of my first things that I worked on in Capitol Hill was the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. And I was a young, bright-eyed 20-something showing members of Congress with a medical model baby what happened in a partial birth abortion. And they were disgusted to the point that, that the, Patrick Kennedy voted with us. This was a left and right issue. This is exactly what they were trying to guard against. It is illegal. It is a violation of federal law. And Santangelo is basically operating as Kermit Gosnell in Washington, D.C. It has to stop. Well, joining me right now is New American Senior Editor Rebecca Terrell. Rebecca, so I, I know that abortion is high. Good to have you on the show. And I mean, this is always sobering stuff. This is nothing less than, than infanticide. And I mean, stories like this show, number one, I think the depravity which our country still is in. And number two, that in spite of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we have a long way to go to deal with this issue. What is your take on all of this? I think we certainly do. You're exactly right that the uh, rights of unborn children are absolutely being thrown in the, the dustbin. Or and, in this, and in this case, case partial born, partially born children, yeah. Well, partially born, but we also have to remember along with those five, they also found the remains of 110 other infants um, that were either first or second trimester. They were all in a box that was being collected by Curtis Bay uh, Medical Waste, uh, services that was being transported to Baltimore to Curtis Bay Energy. The, all of these remains were going to be incinerated. They have a biomedical incineration uh, contraption there at the uh, at the power plant, and they burn biomedical biohazardous waste to produce electricity. Well, these babies were going to be part of that, and we it would be I think the height of uh, naivete to assume that this is a one off, right? So, I mean, it, the, the story is even is worse and worse and worse. It just gets worse and worse and worse as you as you dive into it deeper. Yeah, and of course, these are the most innocent among us, the unborn and the partially born, the, the, these children. It, it, you know, how far, how much farther in the future could full-blown infanticide be if, if, we're, if we as a country turn a blind eye to this? I wish we had more time to talk about this. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. So John Birch Society Field Coordinator Michael Smart will be joining us next to discuss the JBS's involvement at CPAC. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. 
Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. For more news and in-depth analysis from The New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than The New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Welcome back, everybody. Well, it's CPAC time again, and as has been the case so often in recent years, uh, the John Birch Society and the New American Magazine as well are represent, going to be represented at CPAC. And so with me today is John Birch Society Field Coordinator Michael Smart. Michael has been to a number of CPACs in recent years. I personally never have gone, but back east, it's a big deal. And so Mike, Mike's going to talk to us a little bit about what CPAC is, what it's like to be there, you know, manning the booths, rubbing shoulders with some of the most prominent people in the so-called conservative movement. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Steve. It's great to be with you. And I and I should I should clarify. It's been a while since we like many years since we've spoken. Do you prefer Michael or Mike? I, I prefer Michael. There's a lot. I know a lot of Mikes, and it helps me uh, keep things straight. So. All right, Michael, it is. So, Michael, I understand that, that the moment we end our conversation, you're going to be packing up with some colleagues and heading over to CPAC. Can you tell us what what you what's? I mean, it's get, things are getting started today. And the event lasts through Saturday, and we'll have extensive coverage here. But what what do you see from your vantage point? You know, being there, manning the booth, uh, you know, pressing the flesh with with you know with the the, the attendees and so forth. Yeah. Well, today will be setup day. Uh, the event will start tomorrow and and go through Saturday afternoon. Um, it's a great opportunity to rub elbows with uh, more and more like minded people. Uh, the one advantage that we have. Being at an event like CPAC is uh, that we've been around for so long, warning people about exactly what they're concerned about. Uh, so that's a great opportunity for us, uh, not only to reinforce how long that you know we've been ringing the alarm bell on the deep state issues, but also talk to them about the John Birch Society's solution to what ails us, which is, of course, a, a moral and informed electorate. Uh, so they're more than willing to talk to us, and it's it's a great time. Well, do you see, I mean, I mean, I first became aware of the CPAC, I think it started up in the, the 90s, maybe the late 80s, something like that. 
And for a number of years, it was more of what we would now call a neocon type event. You know, it was primarily, you know, Buckleyite conservatives, you know, people that were de that deemed themselves to be the respectable standard bearers of the right instead of so-called, you know, extremists. And in recent years, that's really changed. I think, you know, in many years, they, you know, people like us were not considered welcome at CPAC because we were we were deemed to be just, you know, not 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 enough in sync with with the Washington crowd and all, you know, the Beltway, the, the Rhino types and all this sort of thing, the people who were the driving engines of CPAC. And and that has really changed. Can you can you comment on that? I mean, it seems to me that we have a good run now that that, you know, we've we've been welcomed back at CPAC year after year and it's we've had that door open that in the past has not been. Yeah, well, it has definitely changed, and you're right. Uh, it was very much a, a neocon event uh, for many years. And actually, it's not been too long since we've been back. It was just last year uh, that we got back into CPAC, and uh, they were very, very uh, open to us coming back. Think Things have changed that much uh, with the uh, exposure of you know the deep state and deep state issues, as I mentioned before. Uh, they can't. The neocons can't hide. Uh, what it is that they're involved in or, or uh, helping helping with in their own way. So you think um, the MAGA so, movement has something to do with the sea change that we're seeing with CPAC? Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. Uh, so it's a great educational opportunity for us to uh, sort of fine-tune uh, a lot of things that a lot of, uh, a lot of these folks are already very well aware of. Uh, we could show uh, them... Uh, uh, I guess fill in a lot of gaps uh, in their knowledge base and, and sort of do some fine tuning. Uh, so uh, uh, we really look forward to it. Uh, last year, we picked up a lot of new contacts, uh, picked up a, a good number of members, uh, at least in my territory. Uh, some of our better members, in fact, uh, came out of that CPAC effort last year. And this year, I think, uh, be even better opportunity being an election year. Uh, so uh, for all that that's worth, uh, we, we definitely look forward to uh, reaching out to people and getting them involved in the John Birch Society. Well, I know we have a, a real impressive slate of, of, of interviewees lined up, and we'll be, we'll be rolling out more about that as the week goes on. But, uh, so we, but we should have, mild spoiler alert, some really compelling interviews with some household names over the course of the next few days uh, that we've been able to arrange at, at CPAC. But, you know, you know from, from your perspective, uh, Michael, I mean, tell us what is it actually like to be, to be at CPAC, at a booth? You know, what do you do all day? Do you, do, do you sort of stop people walking by? Do you just wait for people to walk? I mean, how, are there a lot of people there, particularly, you know, Thursday, Friday, that kind of thing? Uh, the, the, uh, there is a uh, there's a good sized crowd there, and we do talk to people uh, as they walk past the booth or come up to the booth, uh, reach out to them with our material. A uh, good number of them are already familiar with the John Birch Society, which is a a theme we run into everywhere. Uh, either they've been uh, familiar with the New American Magazine, or their parents were members of the John Birch Society at one point. I mean, that's a conversation that we have. Uh, very often, not just the CPAC, but everywhere. Uh, so uh, it's a good chance to talk to, to talk to other vendors. Uh, many of them are very very well informed. Uh, it's a, a good good outreach opportunity in that sense for sure. Yeah, where exactly is it being held? Is it is it inside the Beltway or is it in Virginia or or Maryland? Or it's something? in the Beltway on the Maryland side of the 
of the bridge, uh, the Wilson Bridge, uh, the gate, sort of a Gaylord Entertainment complex. There's a, a, a big hotel, a uh, big venue there where they have a, a lot of events. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them are similar to CPAC, but uh, it's a good location. Uh, you get a lot of people from all over the East Coast and all over the country, really. I was surprised at how many people we ran into last year uh, that had the the time and resources to to come across the country. But I guess it's the atmosphere, really, that draws a lot of people in. Uh, you know, you look at this lineup of speakers and personalities that are there and uh, you know, for those who are interested uh, in what's going on in, in the United States, uh, it's a good good opportunity for them to uh, speak. You know, speak to a lot of like minded people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the <clears throat> CPAC in in the last couple of years has even ha- had a go at going international. They've had it. They had one in Mexico, and they they had one in Japan, I believe. They they're, they're trying to become you know to address the fact that that this move back toward what we call the right is not just occurring in the United States, but other countries. I believe Argentina is a very prominent example. And the now president of Argentina, Javier Millet, was at the Mexico CPAC last year. And I think we do occasionally get, um, I, I think, uh, Nigel, what's his name? <laughs> the, the, the Brexit guy from England has been at CPAC a couple times in recent years. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting you know, way of seeing that, the, you know, the conservative mindset is not just something here in the United States, but it's, it's you know, found in a lot of places around the world. Now, I'm told that uh, Donald Trump is going to be sort of the keynote event on Saturday. Do you, are you planning to, 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 be, to be around for that? I, I believe that's correct. I, I don't know that they've released exactly when he's speaking. Uh, Saturday would make, would make sense. But yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, he'll be uh, definitely he'll definitely be the main draw for sure. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, this is great, great, great to hear that we're going to be there. I have never been to CPAC myself, and I, I wasn't really inclined to go this year. We do have my colleague Paul Dragu. You'll get to if you've not met him before, he will be arriving today as well, and you'll get to work with him as well as our senior editor and interviewer extraordinaire Veronica Kirilenko will be there and camera crew uh, get, getting interviews on the floor and a lot of coverage. So we will have a, a lot of coverage in CPAC coming up. Thank you so much, Mike, and uh, good luck. Bon voyage. Have a great time. Great. Thank you, Steve. We'll keep you informed. Okay. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, everyone, for tuning into another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news, and please join us again tomorrow.